FIFA Living Football Podcast stars one of the best French players of all time. Jokaev with a penalty, and France have the lead on 12 minutes. Yuri Jokaev's fellow FIFA World Cup winner Patrick Vieira also comes onto the show to discuss his coaching career. Plus, we head to one of the most beautiful places on earth to find out how a new stadium is fueling the country's FIFA World Cup ambitions. It's tremendous what it means to the young people in the Virgin Islands, being able to see top-class athletes perform right here in the Virgin Islands. And my special guest today has spent much of her life battling prejudice to develop women's football in Africa. Welcome to the FIFA Living Football Podcast with me, Reshmin Chowdhury. It's the show where we open the doors of the home of FIFA. We try to bring the world closer together during these challenging times with the help of some great guests, of course. My special guest today knows all about challenging times in football. She's the former Uganda international, the current Wakefield Trinity ladies defender, Jean Saninde. Jean, thank you so much for joining us. You are speaking to us all the way from Ethiopia because you've just been playing in a couple of games there. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, I've been with the South Sudan women's uh, football team because uh, they've been participating in their first international friendly game. So yeah, it's been really nice. It's been nice and busy as well. And that is just you all over, isn't it? Because your career, Jean, is so fascinating. I'm just going to summarise for anyone who doesn't know. Now, you were brought up in Uganda and you moved to London when you were just 17 years old. So you sacrificed your place at university to play football. You played for Charlton, London Phoenix, Crystal Palace, Queen's Park Rangers, as well as the Uganda national team. But off the pitch, you're doing some incredible work for football. You're spearheading the South Sudan Football Association Stars at Unite and you have your own football foundation and you're only 28 years old. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, so many times people tell me it's incredible, but I feel like it's just something normal that anyone could challenge themselves to do. (laughs) It's nice that you're so humble about it because I'm sure there are plenty of 28-year-olds who aren't doing what you're doing. But let's start from the beginning because that's what our listeners will want to know about, your upbringing in Uganda. So you were studying for your A-levels, but there wasn't sort of a girls' football team, so... Because there wasn't one, you decided to set one up for yourself. Yeah, um, I mean, when I was in Uganda, I got the opportunity to travel to the UK and uh, um, thinking about how the football life was there, I thought that maybe by traveling, it would um, give me opportunity to play at the level that I wanted to. But more importantly for me, I wanted to open uh, doors for other women and girls to believe that one day they could achieve their dreams uh, of playing at the highest level. So that's why I I feel like I had to make the sacrifice and travel because I knew that I would always get the opportunity to do my university, which uh, finally I got the opportunity to do it. But uh, for me, uh, it's something that right now I look back and I don't regret it, however tough uh, it was at the moment. And I thought about it so many times because doing university is not easy. And I feel like maybe if I had done it that time, I would do a lot of things, but I don't regret anything right now. Yeah, and I think things work out how they're supposed to. So you sort of, if you hadn't done the the background work in setting up the football team, you wouldn't have played football to the level that you did. And as you say, university can always come later. And, you know, something else you founded when you were quite young was the Jean Sininde Foundation. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I came to uh, the UK, I so uh, I got opportunities to play and I saw how how much other people have to sacrifice for football. I mean, 
people have to pay to play sometimes and uh, these are things that we don't do in Uganda and people just don't get opportunities at all so for me with all the opportunities I got with uh, even getting the chances to do my coaching badges with the English FA I, I felt like I need to give back uh, for everything that I've been supported through and it motivated me to start the Sunday Women's Development Cup a tournament which creates opportunities for young girls to play football uh, and I started it in Uganda. Um, I went back and for me it was more to get the girls to know that whatever the situation is, you can still play, you have to make the sacrifices and it's not just about uh, just the football but also off the field because if you want to be the best you have to be good both on and off the field. So it was also, also supporting them through their education because I don't want anyone to go through what I had to go through to sacrifice maybe university or to sacrifice their education education just to be able to play football so it was more to show that you can still do the education and still do the football because it makes you that footballer who is even better than anyone else and it's helping me with everything that I'm doing off the field right now yeah it is it's excellent and it is just such an important lesson for young girls to have as well that you should never have to sacrifice your education for your passion but you can actually do both of them together which is fantastic I mean we're going to talk about your playing career later on but I just want to ask you what you're doing in South Sudan right now so the country is one of the most recent of FIFA's 211 members and you're sort of helping to transform women's football in the country is it that you've got a, a campaign Stars Unite um, tell us a little bit about that campaign about sort of building women's football there and, and the challenges that you faced as well um, oh my god this has been I should say one of the hardest things that I've had to do um, for the fact that obviously being in the UK and seeing how things are there and then now doing it in Africa I mean I had done it in Uganda with my foundation and some other few African countries but with South Sudan is a country that has gone through the political insecurities and there is wars and there is all these challenges of uh, the mindsets where women are married off at the age of 15 and then here we come we are saying we want to introduce women's football and <laughs> we have high ambitions so it's been really 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 challenging for myself but uh, this is what I wanted because you're challenging cultural perceptions aren't you yeah yeah and and also the fact that literally starting from scratch with everything to do with women's football so it, it, it's hard to change the perceptions but at the same time there is a lot of belief there is a lot of passion and first of all I want to thank FIFA first of all for introducing the COVID relief fund I mean it came with some positives because it, it enabled the country to get that sort of money and were able to obviously plan around it as well and yeah we started the women's league for the first time and funny enough the men don't have uh, a league which it makes it that women are the first to actually have a league in the whole country and to that's amazing yeah uh, that's incredible yeah and and yeah it's been really tough uh, also fighting the ignorance or the uneducated um, individuals and sometimes not making research and being in that kind of environment. So there is that, that pushing, but then at the same time, it's also teaching people and showing the teamwork and creating the peace and football has brought people together uh, with the league starting, seeing that uh, despite COVID, people, <laughs> they don't care. They just want to see the women playing. And it's for me, it's just incredible because 
what these women, they are really, really talented. And without all these opportunities or without the funding from FIFA, these women would never have got the chances to play at all. So I'm re it's really th positive. You know, it's absolutely fascinating. I feel like we could talk to you for hours and hours. But we're going to bring you an interview from two real football legends of France, actually. So this is an interview with our living football TV show colleagues. And, you know, it's these kind of characters that are so inspirational that hopefully some of the young girls, as well as women in the game, they obviously can look up to the men in the game as well. And this is the forward Yuri Djorkaev and midfielder Patrick Vieira. They've obviously both played in that brilliant French side that lifted the FIFA World Cup in 1998 when they beat Brazil 3-0 in that final. You know, it's so important to have women role models as well, but the men role models and what they can achieve because the game is more advanced is so important as well. And these two are such incredible players, aren't they, Jean? Yeah, they are. And uh, I mean, when you look at some of the big players right now in women's football, they all looked up to the men's players because at that time they were not actually women's footballers. And for me, looking at these incredible stars who have actually helped raise the profile of women's football, because look at the World Cup when FIFA used the men's legends and people looking and saying that, yeah, this is actually about teamwork. It's not that women, we should be in it alone and fight and fight, but we need to bring these legends on board. We need to bring such incredible stars to continue supporting and advocating both the women and the men's game so that the men can inspire the women and then the women can inspire the men at the same time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think everyone's learning from each other, especially, you know, now that people's minds are much more, more open. I mean, let's start with um, Yuri Djorkaev then. Now, he played for PSG, Inter Milan, Kaiserslautern and Bolton Wanderers, amongst others. And he also scored an impressive 28 goals in 82 appearances for France. And he is now actually, you know, in one of those positions where he can help the game so much. He's the CEO of the FIFA Foundation and speaking to our living football TV host Jessica Liberts, he was asked what he was more concerned about these days, football or the problems in society? I'd say I focus more on how to use football to solve problems in society. Football has become so important and people expect so much from it. Many people watch games and events. At the FIFA Foundation, we use the power and appeal of football to educate communities and help those who can't access certain things. We try to find the right balance. You've always been a very strong team player. We all know that. But what can we learn from football in this respect? Well, first, it's always easier to play alongside great players because they understand things right away. Playing in one touch is the hardest thing in football. It's great for players who dribble a lot to have a lot of touches, but only a few players know how to play the ball in one touch. I was lucky to play with great players, and when you played with them, football became easy. Another important thing... All the great players I know think about others. They think about society, not just their own world and football. I think that's very important. These players are our best ambassadors. When Ronaldo or Messi retire, they'll become the best ambassadors for the FIFA Foundation. And I think that's an important message for the society. And they are really important role models. But before we speak about the FIFA Foundation, let's see where great team spirit can lead to. Here are some highlights of your greatest success winning the FIFA World Cup in 1998. And now the breakout is on, led by Dugari. And Brazil struggling to get back. Vieira, Emmanuel Petit, three. The World Cup belongs to France. 
great memories. Yeah. In the second match, you came from the bench. Mm. And in the third match, mm. you immediately took responsibility and you opened the scoring with a penalty. Can you remember that scene? And was it always clearly in your mind that you would take the ball? Yes, because I was the penalty taker for France, so I was always going to take that penalty. I was lucky enough to be playing at home in Lyon. Lyon is my city. My whole family was there. And I'll let you in on a little secret. When I picked up the ball, Kalina was the referee. I can remember it like it was yesterday. He gave the penalty. It was in Lyon, so I could hear all the fans going, Yuri, Yuri. I put the ball down and looked at Schmeichel like, wow, he's huge. And he started a discussion Yes, he started talking to me. And, and Peter Schmeichel, who I'd played against when he was at Manchester United, is huge. He's absolutely immense. It was all flashing through my mind. And I was thinking, should I shoot right or left? And I still don't know. At midday before the team lunch, there was a feature on TV with footage of my father. My father was France captain. I wasn't the France captain. There was some footage of him. And at one point, they showed one of his goals, which was a penalty that he put down the side. Suddenly, I had a eureka moment. I thought, that was a sign. I'm going to put it to that side. And I did. Peter touched the ball, but I scored. It was funny because I was hesitating, but I suddenly remembered the footage of my father six hours before the penalty, and I put it to that side. Jokaev with a penalty, and France have the lead on twelve minutes. Yui, I would like to go back to this moment on the 3rd of July 1998. We have already spoken about your father. What did he say when you won the FIFA World Cup 1998? Well, he told me some things. At the end of the day, there was more emotion than words. Because it's difficult, you know. You've got the trophy, you do the lap of honour, you show the thing to the fans, you stay on the pitch, and then... I remember I went into the dressing room and my whole family was there just in the dressing room. They were right next to me. They let my father, my mother and my children in. They were all there. It was quite a nice feeling because my father got to kiss and feel the trophy. We discussed it afterwards, but there was a huge sense of pride and humility too. So now you decided to dedicate your career to help people you're traveling the world for the FIFA Foundation. What are your goals with the FIFA Foundation? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity that FIFA president Gianni Infantino offered me. We discussed it before I took on this responsibility, as it's a true responsibility. We discussed it at length, along with the president, and we share the same vision about how football can help the world, how football has to be a driving force, an ambassador, and be at the forefront of many issues which appear to be more society than sporting issues. However, sports have become so important that football has to take on and embrace this role. The president gave me carte blanche to lead the foundation on important societal issues where we can have an impact. And I think it's a big challenge. 
It's something that I feel good about because I know we have an incredible tool at FIFA. There is a strong position, a strong philosophy at FIFA, and there is a clear direction now. And the foundation has this direction too. Et la fondation a aussi cette direction-là. Well, Jean, um, you know, Djokovic spoke there about his role as a force for good for the FIFA Foundation. I suppose it's interesting that he moved into that type of role rather than coaching, which is sort of a channel most ex-players seem to seem to do, really. I mean, is it important for more ex-players to be taking the route that he has instead of just going into coaching? Yeah, definitely. And I do support that because if you look at the young girls right now, they believe when they see someone who has actually played the game. And we have so many coaches right now. That doesn't mean that uh, people shouldn't go into coaching, but also everything, everything you learn, you continue gaining knowledge and talking about his foundation and the work he's done for FIFA, um, the FIFA Foundation, you can see that the young girls and boys are believing uh, that this work off the field is actually creating more impact for the players and the young players to come up and believe that the football game can do more good and it's creating a lot of unity, it's creating a lot of peace. Uh, you look at football, which is helping to eradicate um, racism, it's helping to eradicate and, and create respect for the referees. I mean, for me, everything that I've learned about the game, I've learned mostly off the field uh, and through the work that he's doing off the field. Those are the things that we as women and men need to learn from and more players should do such, such things because it makes it more believable because people believe that they've gone through it and we can also go through it at the same time. Yeah, Jean, it's fascinating to hear that. You know, you mentioned the Yuri Djorkaya Foundation as well. I mean, this is uh, where he's giving opportunities to both boys and girls and particularly refugees as well to really build a solid foundation in their lives to improve health, discipline and their aspirations for their for the future as well. It seems to really resonate with everything that you've done as well, which is amazing to see. Um, now, Djorkaya former France teammate Patrick Vieira also joined the guys on the Living Football TV show. The ex-Arsenal, Juventus, Inter Milan and Manchester City midfielder began by discussing his relationship with Djorkaev, who is nine years his senior. Au sein de l'équipe, c'était plus... Within the team, he was more a big brother. He was a role model. My generation, Thierry Henry, David Trezeguet, Robert Pires, we were the youngsters in the team. And we also owe our success to Yuri's older generation because they handled their careers well. They were great players and positive role models for us. That FIFA World Cup really was important because we were with them every day. We saw how they behaved, trained and looked after their bodies. I think that we did well ourselves because we had positive role models. I mean, you had a great team at that time, no doubt about it. All the big names from Zidane, Petit, Blanc, Trezeguet, you could mention them all, but perhaps... And I don't know your opinion about it, Patrick. Maybe perhaps the most important action or one of the most important actions came from Yuri, the artistic assist for the 1-1 against Croatia in the semi-final. Turam has done well here. And back to it. And this is Lillian Turam. And an immediate response. What about this? Oh, this semi-final is really up and going now. He was involved in winning it here on the edge of the Croatia penalty area. Jorkiev's little dink back into his path. 
It's an amazing goal, uh, but when you look at Yuri's ball, that sums him up. That's down to his vision and his technical quality. And his ball for Lilian Turam is a gift. One touch and Lilian puts it in. That move should be shown in academies to any number 10s or false number 9s because that goal had everything. And Patrick, you were substituted for Yuri in the final. Can you tell us something uh, about this special moment for your career? Yes, it was a big moment for me personally, but that moment also came around very quickly because Marcel Desai was sent off and I didn't even have time to think whether I felt the pressure or not. For me, what was important was to get onto the pitch, help the team, bring energy and enthusiasm. That was important for me, yes. I came on for Yuri, who was having a fantastic match, but the boss wanted to bring on a player who was stronger defensively. You started as a youth coach at Manchester City, went to the US, New York, then he took over OGC Nice in front. So, Patrick, what are your next career steps? Well, it's true that when, at the end of my career, I decided to launch myself into this field, it was really to last long, to last long and make it to the very top. That's why I went through all the steps. I trained the Manchester City second team. I went over to New York. I was in charge of Nice for a time. And as we stand today, I'm still certain of my ability as a coach. Having digested that experience at Nice, I'm ready to go again, and I'm waiting for the right project so I can jump back in because I'm made for this. I love it. It's something that I enjoy, and I want to get to the very top as a coach. Jean Vieira was one of Arsenal's invincibles back in 2003-2004. I mean, he had an incredible season as a box-to-box midfielder as well. Is there anyone you can think of who compares to him in the women's game? Oh, my God. Uh, I can't really think of so many women players, to be honest, uh, because I remember Vieira so fresh in my mind when I was little back in Uganda, <laughs> supporting Manchester United, and then Arsenal used to win, and and then there was that whole rivalry of hating him in that moment, because obviously when Arsenal used to beat Manchester United, it wasn't a good feeling. Um Looking at the women's game right now, it's tough to think about anyone, to be honest. Kelly Smith, maybe. Well, I mean, it's great that you have those memories, I mean, of Arsenal and Manchester United, because when you were only six years old, is that right, when France beat Brazil in the 1998 FIFA World Cup final? So how impressed were you with the ability of the French to produce those amazing players, that amazing group and generation of footballers. Because even now, they seem to be one of the big favourites for the 2022 FIFA World Cup as well in Qatar with the likes of, you know, Mbappe, Pogba, Griezmann, Varane. You know, these are all huge players. They all seem to come together at exactly the right time. Mm. Yeah, and for me, one thing I, I see, it's it's incredible to see that they're actually still in the game because it's it's making it more realistic and it's creating that continuity and it's showing the players that it's, you don't have to actually leave the game after playing because it's difficult to step away from the game. But um, the more we are seeing these players uh, staying around, uh, doing different things, and it's, it's giving hope even to the players who maybe would have loved to get involved in the game but they haven't got the opportunities to play at the highest level. You can still succeed off the field in different avenues. And for me, Patrice Vieira, he's one of the legends you can look at and he's inspiring not just the men but the women 
off the field and seeing the work he's also doing again with the FIFA Foundation and uh, everything off the field is just so admirable, really. Yeah, he carries himself incredibly, doesn't he? I mean, look, he made his debut in that World Cup. What are your memories of playing for Uganda when you made your debut? I think for me, it's just putting on the jersey because uh, I had wanted to do that for a long time. I had been working really hard for that. Uh, I mean, my journey to move into England as a 17-year-old, those are one of the things in my head or one of the visions that I was thinking of that I want to achieve one day. And I was the first player to move to play out of the country. So coming back to play for the national team as uh, one of the players outside, it's more like to inspire the young girls really so I think for me it was more like inspiring people that okay we can bring back players from out to play but also making my family proud and achieving my biggest dream to play for my country was also one one big one yeah do you know what you're making me proud just talking to you it's absolutely fantastic to hear all of your stories and we're going to hear much more from you later on in the show but still to come we're off to one of the most idyllic places on the planet to hear how a new stadium is helping to change their outlook on football i'm julio caesar and you're listening to fifa's living football podcast Okay, we're heading to the US Virgin Islands now. I wish we actually were. Now, this tiny but beautiful nation in the Caribbean is making huge strides in terms of its football development, in particular thanks to support from FIFA. They even have ambitions of reaching the FIFA World Cup finals one day, as Chris Parrott explains. Football players and coaches in the US Virgin Islands are dreaming big. The FIFA-funded Bethlehem Soccer Stadium hosted their opening FIFA World Cup qualifier against Antigua and Barbuda last month. And US Virgin Islands Governor Albert Bryan Jr. believes it's a significant step forward. This is the second major event that we've had since the building of this field and it's tremendous what it means to the young people in the Virgin Islands, being able to see top-class athletes perform um, right here in the Virgin Islands, encouraging us not only to do sports but to remain healthy and uh, get involved in team activities which ultimately build better human beings. The stadium's also helping to attract better players. We'll hear from the US Virgin Islands Director of Football, Vin Blaine, in a moment. But first here's goalkeeper Lionel Brown who says his teammates have been boosted by their new surroundings. It's been pretty good so far. It's been tough obviously with COVID with everything going on but they've been able to make some renovations around the stadium. We have the scoreboard they have the new shower set up in the bathroom and the facility itself. Every time we get back here, there's always something new. They're adding the VIP section for the fans now. So it's always something new being built as we go. So I'm anxious to see what it will look like at the end. But for now, things are progressing well. If you had a facility that you have to worry about the, the playing every day, it probably would be a problem. But this now with the turf has helped us to accommodate everyone. With football becoming so much more accessible, the president of the US Virgin Islands, Hilarin Frederick, is predicting an exciting future. FIFA Forward allow us to hire more professionals, introduce development programs for players. You know, for years, the Virgin Islands has been struggling with infrastructure. Uh, we were actually using a lot of government-owned baseball fields to play soccer, especially international soccer. So that is our aspiration, and uh, to make a youth work up, women's work up, once it's a work up. We are very proud and we know that uh, it's going to open a lot more doors for us in the future. So football in the US Virgin Islands is developing at a rapid rate and its players now have the chance to shine on the big stage. 
the goal of reaching a FIFA World Cup is perhaps closer than anybody could have imagined. Jean, you're still with me, of course. It was fascinating to sort of hear all those stories. I imagine that it must really resonate with you when you think of building football from the bottom up in, in a region. Um, but of course, you know, we are living in challenging times and the FIFA Global Relief Fund for COVID-19 has helped so many nations during the pandemic. I mean, you know, I suppose you can't overstate how important it is to have that sort of financial help for these smaller nations at this time. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to put it into words. Uh, looking at this uh, story with Virgin Island, it's just creating incredible things. And it's it's starting, the fact that they've only built a stadium, but the impact that it's going to create for the long term, the fact that they even have lights, that means they can train at any time of the day. And it's not only going to improve them, the fact that they've built a facility, but the coaches, the players, the administrators, and and everyone else working on the field. I mean, it improves the whole picture. And this is a, a big investment for a long term. It's not just uh, something that's going to die away. So really, this COVID relief has helped so many nations. And uh, you've just talked about the smaller nations. I mean, talking about South Sudan, what this has also done for the women's game. It's just incredible. And personally, I can't put anything into words what this has done and the impact that it's going to create for the future. Yeah, I mean, look, one of uh, FIFA President Gianni Infantino's visions is to make the game truly global. So it is, you know, giving an opportunity for these smaller nations to, like the US Virgin Islands, to build themselves up and give them an opportunity to to fight for a place at a FIFA World Cup. Look, I've noticed that you have been doing your own videos during the pandemic to help people keep fit. What exactly have you been doing, Jean? For me, with the pandemic coming, it was more like keeping the positivity up there uh, and and showing that we don't have to be sad just because the pandemic has come. And it's also showing that we can just find something positive out of something really negative (laughs) because it's impacted all of us in different ways. Uh, I mean, and also bringing people together. I mean, sometimes I say that we have a small platform, but also sharing it with others and seeing how we could make make other people's lives better by the small things we could do so it could yeah change something yeah it's absolutely wonderful do you know what it's um i've been loving hearing your stories i'm reshman chowdhury and i'm with the former uganda defender and now director of south sudan women's football jean sininde but let's get back to talking about your own aspirations for the future now The next FIFA Women's World Cup takes place in 2023 in Australia and New Zealand. How big an opportunity is this for the women's game, considering how the popularity of the women's game has been increasing year upon year and the point that we're at now and the point that we could be by 2023? Um, Wow, I mean, we could look at each and every year how the women's game has been growing. We saw last uh, last last time in uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup in France what it created and this time it's even going to create even more and seeing that two nations are hosting I mean that is already unity, that is already changing perceptions and not just for for the nations that are participating but even the nations that are not participating because the women's game is now being watched widely on televisions and it's inspiring young girls and the younger nations to continue participating and it's bringing people together for me i always say it's about 
the perceptions that it's changing that women can play football at the global level and we are actually good i mean see the impact for example megan rapino has created just through football that now there is that big listening ear to the players look at uh, i mean even if you see the nations like africa who we seem like as if still behind uh, you see that players are coming up now on the global level like asisato shuala who now they can say something and people can listen and it's about you know getting <laughs> the views there looking at the cultures barriers that are in africa and then people see you playing at the global stage actually they believe and they invest it's bringing sponsors on board it's bringing you know musicians on board to invest looking at serena and uh, osaka now investing in the women's game i mean who could think of that a few years ago so this is just incredible it is absolutely incredible. And, you know, on the theme of sort of African teams, I love watching the African teams at the Men's World Cup. Which African teams do you expect or hope to see at the Women's World Cup? Um, I mean, there is the usual Nigeria, Cameroon, Zambia. But now I see there is, a, I mean, every country is now fighting so hard to get to this global stage because it's an amazing stage to be at. And more African countries are investing in the women's game because they are believing that actually there is more that we could do for women's football. And people are believing that, okay, now we can play. I mean, there is still a lot of work to do. You can see countries like USA, they are still fighting to get the equal pay and now us who are still underneath we are fighting just to get games at the international level so you can see the difference there but i think now it's the one step at a time and showing that okay now people we are playing at the global stage and people accepting that women can play women can lead at the highest level being uh, the general secretary fatuma uh, women can be the, the the commentators of the big matches the referees and now being the referees in the men's games so it's all those small small impacts that this game is actually creating and it's making the world a better place and it's eradicating racism it's bringing unity people are now fighting together and for me there is nothing that i can't say about football because it's such a great game the, the upcoming African nations and say the USA, everyone's sort of on the same on the same page in terms of what they want and the equality. I mean, if you could send a message to any young girls listening to this who are aspiring to be footballers or to work in football in some way, shape or form, what would that message be? Um, for me, I would say never, ever, ever give up because football can do so much more for you. Uh, if you don't succeed on the field, try and succeed off it and don't accept to do anything less than your best because we want to be the best and we are only going to be the best by making those sacrifices and doing the right thing, remaining accountable, staying transparent and actually making connections with people who can bring the game together. And we need to stay united, both men and women, in order to take football at the highest level in the world. Yeah, no, it's, it's incredible. Look, this is the Living Football Podcast. It's all about emphasising how much football means to each and every one of us who lives it and breathes it. So, I mean, finally, I feel like you might have answered this question already, but if you had to break it down very simply, what does football mean to you? Football means the my whole entire lifetime to me because everything in my life since I was little up to now, it's been about football. So football is my life. <laughs>
I love football. You are. Do you know what? But you're so much more than that as well. And it's been absolutely inspiring to listen to you. FIFA legend Jean Seninde, you've been absolutely brilliant speaking to you. I, you know, I hope that we hear more of your stories as you go along, because I think your adventures um, and the steps that you take in football in Africa, but in general, will be absolutely great. I hope you've enjoyed being with us as well. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been uh, an incredible honour being a part of this podcast. Thank you so much. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show too. Please subscribe to us via your usual podcast provider and make sure you join us next week as we continue to take you behind the scenes at FIFA. Remember to head to FIFA.com to watch the Living Football TV show and for comprehensive coverage of all FIFA's tournaments and initiatives. And if you're into football and music, you can download the Play On podcast presented by One Direction's Liam Payne. But until next time, I'm still so inspired by everything that we've heard from Jean Sininde. Thanks to her and until next time, it's goodbye for now. Bye.